Good morning. What in the world is this guy going to talk about? Sermons you can preach from the book of James. If you were in my shoes, what would you do? And then I'm going to tell you I'm probably not going to do that. First of all, some people would preach thought unit by thought unit and try to get as much covered as they possibly could going through the book of James. Not going to do that. It's a valuable approach. I encourage the approach. But there's more than one approach. Good golfers have more than one club in their golf bag. And good preachers should use more than one approach in dealing with a book of the Bible. There are some preachers that would, with the very best of intentions, preach on their favorite subjects from the book of James. They may well connect with a number of people that hear those lessons. But what I want to do with you in this hour is look at the book of James and look at some of its most important threads, some of its greatest themes. And I would suggest that we wouldn't go too far afield to say that if we preach the great themes and threads of the book of James, what you and I will be doing is honoring the spirit of James and honoring the good Lord as we preach to our churches. Therefore, let's begin with God. God in the book of James. Get ready to write. We'll be going 90 miles per hour consistently with gusts up to 140. So just be ready. God in the book of James. First of all, preachers need to keep in mind that the Bible is a book from God, about God, and the relationship he wants to have with us. Some preachers in the Lord's church sound like Christian humanists. That man is the measure and that everything depends on us. While not knocking human responsibility in any way, seeing that the Bible is a book from God and about God will give us the proper motivation and incentive to respond the way we ought to to God. And we must not overlook that. God is not a bit player. God is not a role player in the drama of redemption. God is not even a co-star among many other co-stars in the gospel plan of salvation, the great word of God. He is the star. We are privileged to have a role, a part in God's great plan for redeeming man. Let's look at James and what he has to say about God because I want you to understand James is a God-saturated, God-entrenched human being. He looks at everything from the idea that God is and that he has spoken and we need to respond in a way that would give us great wholeness because it's the way of wisdom. God in the book of James. Look at James 1.1. I move quickly. God as master. He is the bondservant of God. 
James 1.5, you can just jot down the references. God as generous. He gives to all liberally. James 1.13, God as holy. He cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. He is pure and holy. Again, James 1.17, God as transcendent. He is above all, before all, and beyond all. And we're just 17 verses into the first chapter. He is the Father of lights. The Father of lights. God, according to 117 and James, is unchangeably good. <clears throat> there is no variation, neither is there shadow of turning. The immutability of God. We think about how things change. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we change. And we think about God. He changes not. Again, James 1.18, God as Savior, He brought us forth by the word of truth. He brought us forth by the word of truth. Again, in James 1.18, God as Creator of His creatures. He's the Creator, we are the creatures. And James has a profound sense that we should love and respect this great and awesome God. Now look with me at James 2. And I'm going to stop at James 2 and let you fill in chapters 3, 4, and 5. Amen? But this passage says so much about God. It speaks of God's choosing or election. You know, we can believe in God choosing and electing without being Calvinistic. And this is a biblical concept and we ought to honor that. God chooses the poor to be rich in faith, James 2.5. Again, God promises good things to those who love him. Same verse, James 2, verse 5. James 2, verse 12 speaks of God as lawgiver and judge. In other words, we are not the lawgiver and judge. He is. Again, James 2.19 God is one. God is one. I'm privileged to teach a class at Bear Valley Bible Institute on the Godhead where we deal with the oneness and the threeness of God. We need to uphold both as biblically and legitimately as the Scripture teaches because the Godhead is the train that drives all biblical doctrine. It is the engine that drives all the other truths of Scripture. You think of a great truth in the Bible, the Godhead is the source. It seems to me that often the Godhead is assumed by Christians. But it's not very well articulated. Admittedly, we are men. We are finite. But we ought to speak as well as we can and as clearly as we can and as biblically as we can about our great and awesome God. Keep going with me. James 2.23, God is the proper object of faith. 
James 2.23, God as the friend of Abraham, but also of others who believe and obey him. I stop there. But this book will bless the churches greatly where we preach when we let God be the star. And we understand that we are planets in the constellation, but at the center of everything is God. Keep going. Okay? Another truth that we can emphasize that's a great thread in the book of James, God's Word. Because of the view that James has of God, we should not be surprised at the view he has of Scripture. Just as he is a God-saturated individual, he is a Scripture-saturated individual. He has tremendous command of the Old Testament. He has tremendous command of the words of Jesus. No writer of any New Testament book sounds more like Jesus Christ than James. And that's a good enough reason right there to study the book of James. He writes vividly and passionately. He illustrates in an unbelievably marvelous manner. His use of metaphor and simile. All the ways he says what he says. He knows what needs to be said, but he knows how to say it. And often he says it with characteristic bluntness and straightforwardness. Sounding much like Jesus. <clears throat> Twelve truths about scripture from James. And looking at the passages as a whole that speak of God's word. The word of truth, number one, is used by God to bring us forth as a new creation. James 1.18. The word of God is used by God to bring us forth as a new creation. Number two, one should be swift to hear God's word. Too many people get upset and too many people want to speak when they ought to be stopping and listening to God. James 1 and verse 19. And listen to this one. James 1 21. The word of God is to be received with meekness. You know, if we're just assembly line preachers putting out canned sermons, <coughs> How can we really encourage people to receive the word with meekness, have we? James 1, 22 and following. God's word is perfect and is to be applied. God's word is perfect and is to be applied. James 1, 19 through 25, sometimes God's word and God's law can be used interchangeably in James. Sometimes God's word and God's law are used interchangeably with James. 
Number six, God's word is the law of liberty. James 1, 25 through 27. James 2, 12. God blesses those who hear and practice his word consistently. James 1, 22 through 25. Number eight, the word has a holistic role in the lives <coughs> of the faithful. James 1, 18 through 27. It has a holistic role. If you and I want to be able to have a pure and undefiled religion, we cannot escape the fact that we must love, study, apply, proclaim, get into the word more and more. A holistic role. James 2 8. James 2 8 and 9. The word is royal. The royal law. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving God. Loving neighbor. It's tied to Jesus and his kingdom. James can seamlessly go from the Old Testament and see that it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Number 11, the word communicates the will of God. If only people in the pew understood that what is being proclaimed is God's word, not merely the preacher's. Sadly, some preachers preach more of their own word than the word. God forgive us. Remember what God said to Job's three friends at the end of the book of Job? Every preacher ought to remember this. God said to them, You have not spoken what is right concerning me. I wouldn't want to be a preacher in that category. <clears throat> Let the great themes of James speak. And I'm going to tell you this. If these are the threads that I say they are, you take God out of James and you have <coughs> unraveled garments. If you take scripture out of James, you have a completely unraveled garment. That's how important these threads, these things are. God's word is consistent. And that is a huge point that James repeatedly makes about wholeness and consistency. If you want to be whole and consistent... Think about your words in relationship to the word. James 3, 2 through 12. Think about how you treat others. James 2, 1 through 13. Y'all having fun yet? I am. I was up all night thinking about this. Anyway. Here's another theme that must not be overlooked. You know, sometimes those of us who preach and teach regularly, we... We're looking for individual application. And in James, there is plenty of that. However, one is missing the point to fail to see how many church <coughs> applications are in the book of James. How do you know that, Brother Mike? I'll be happy to tell you. One of the most common expressions in the book of James, Neil Pollard, 
I heard this last hour is brethren or my brethren 19 or 20 times in five chapters. Therefore, it is legitimate to do what James did, to apply what James says, not just to individual Christians, there's a place for that, but to apply it to the church, the local church, the church in general, the things that he's saying. Let me give you just a couple of examples of how to do this. The first 12 verses. Church, when we are undergoing trials, <coughs> choose to rejoice in God. Trust God and ask Him for wisdom. And remember that those who endure will be blessed. Do you hear me, church? Keep talking. Again, look at James 1. 13 through 18, church. Repent of blaming God for your temptation and what goes wrong in your life. And look to God during times of temptation and see him for the good and generous God who gives us victory over sin even when we stumble. We can go to him, can't we? Church, repent of your anger and pride. Instead, listen Listen as if eternity hangs in the balance. Be patient and humbly receive the word. James 1, 19 through 21. I'm just making all this up. But we need to preach James to the church. <coughs> and not just to the individual. You know, the first few times when I was a younger preacher, I really put an individual emphasis on the book of James. And I grant freely that there are passages that have a specific individual application. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But the fact is there is a community aspect of this book that cannot be overlooked. And we, if we only emphasize the individual, are not emphasizing enough the collective. Can I get an amen? Thank amen. you. Now let's keep going. Not just uh, this with the uh, idea of the church. Oh yeah, here's one. Sins of speech in the book of James. It's a great thread. Oh, be careful of the words you speak and keep them soft and sweet. You never know from day to day which words you'll have to eat. James knows a lot about sinful speech. Listen. He says... Here are some sins. I got 14 that I found just reading through James. Just sins of speech. Blaming God in times of temptation. 113 through 15. Uh-uh, don't you do that. That's a no-no. That's a sin of speech. Being slow to listen and quick to anger and speaking. <coughs> Especially as it concerns the word, James 1 19. 
angry, evil, filthy words. The anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. James 1, 19 through 21. Uncontrolled speech. I'm talking and I can't shut up. Diarrhea of the mouth. However you want to call it. Uncontrolled speech. James 1, 26. That man's religion is empty and vain according to the passage. And so does James 3, 1 through 12. <coughs> this. Harsh judgment and critical thinking in the sense of being critical of others. <clears throat> James 2, verse 4. James 4, 11 and 12. Here's one of the great ones. Sins of speech in the book of James. Empty words devoid of compassion and Christian service. Empty words devoid of compassion and Christian service. That's James 2, 8-26. One of two illustrations given in that section is of an individual who doesn't have enough food to eat and doesn't have enough clothing to keep them warm. And what is it that that individual is told? Pretty much the be warm, to be filled thing that Jesus said is not enough in Matthew 25. Again, cursing people, James 3 verse 10, boasting. We live in a world where there's a lot of that and it's not absent among Christians. What preacher doesn't think he's pretty good? Most of us think that we're better than we are. How grateful we should be for the grace of God to be able to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. <clears throat> Lying. James 3.14. Quarreling in the church. Man, James is, has he been listening in to the text messages? The emails of churches today? Quarreling in the church. James 4, 1 through 3. Slandering one another. James 4, 11. Presumptuous words. James 4, 13 through 17. Grumbling against the family of God. James 5, 9. Swearing. James 5, 12. James 5 and verse 12. Some truths about our words from James. <coughs> we ought to listen to God, number one, and not speak too quickly. How much better off we would all be if we followed what James says. We ought to listen to God <coughs> intently and not speak too quickly. James 1, 19-21. Perhaps in this group, there are perfect comeback people. You're so quick on your feet. If somebody gets you, you can slice and dice them with the best of them. I suspect I know of some that are that way. Then their husband may be the opposite. Their husband may be the person that 10 minutes will pass and that husband come up with the perfect reply, the perfect response, and everybody in the family looks at them too late. 
You're too late to this party. Everybody should be quick to listen to God and careful not to speak too quickly. It'll get you into a lot of trouble, won't it? Doing the opposite. Secondly, controlled words consistently follow true wisdom. Consistent words, controlled words, consistently follow true <coughs> wisdom. We show true wisdom and that our faith is alive, not empty. James 1, 26 and 27. And I love this one. And the older I get, the more I think about this. Our words must be spoken with the judgment in view. No wonder you think about James again. He's thinking about something he knew Jesus said. We will give an account to God for every idle word. You know, I can see him thinking that. Matthew 12, 34-37. Words are not a substitute for action. What God joins, no one should separate our words and our actions. James 2, 14-17. Number five, words are powerful and can do a great amount of good or damage. Men, Ask your wives. Ask your children. Words can do a great amount of good or a devastating amount of damage. James 3, 1 through 12. One more. I could give more, but this is enough to get you going in the direction. This is a great thread theme of the book. Words are a reflection of our heart and an expression of our maturity or our lack thereof. Words are an expression of our heart. It's a reflection of our heart and an expression of our maturity or our lack thereof. No one who doesn't get a grip on their speech can really be a mature Christian. Not to James. They may be an elder, they may be a preacher, they may be a deacon somewhere, but James says a man who cannot bridle his tongue cannot be mature. There's something empty and wrong in their spiritual life. The poor and the rich, another great theme in the book. The poor and the rich. Because contextually, <coughs> poor Christians are suffering at the hands of wealthy landowners. There's a lot of discussion among scholars whether these wealthy landowners were Christians or not. I would lean slightly to saying they were not, but I would also say the score when you look at the text can go either way. It's really close. I wouldn't be surprised if some Christians pulled that stunt in the early years of the church because it wouldn't be surprising if someone pulled that stunt in the church today. Money talks. Just business. Just, just what? Just, just business. business. Just business. Yeah. Just business. 
Here's what the Bible says. It talks about the poor and it talks about the severely poor in the book of James, the poor. But the severely poor, like the individual in James 2 who doesn't have enough food to eat and doesn't have adequate clothing when it's cold and wet. That person's severely poor. And then you've got the merchants in James 4, 13 through 17 who are very presumptuous and doing all kinds of business and wanting to get gain. And they're not they're just like the rich man God calls a fool. Jesus calls a fool in Luke 12, 13 through 21. And there's the wealthy landowners of James 1, 9 through 11 and James 5. James is an Old Testament man. I know Deuteronomy 10, 18, and 19 and Psalm 68, 5 went through his mind as he wrote seven truths about riches and poverty. Number one, the Christian poor can find hope in a future reversal. Just like the rich man and Lazarus, <coughs> there will be a change in the future. The Christian poor can find hope in a future reversal. James 1, 9 through 11. You've been chosen to be rich in faith and you'll be blessed. Hold on. Don't blame God. <coughs> James 1, 26 and 27. God's people must care for the poor. Visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Keep oneself unspotted from the world. That is the meat of the sandwich. Bridle your, your tongue. Visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. We need to eat the whole sandwich there. And not just two out of three. Or one out of three. God has chosen the poor to inherit great blessings, James 2, 1 through 13. How dare we discriminate, practice partiality. God considers them precious people made in his image. God's people must not discriminate. James 2, 1 through 13. Genuine faith expresses itself in works of love. Don't just say it, show it. Genuine faith expresses itself in works of love to the poor and needy. Number six, presumption regarding life and wealth is arrogant and sinful. Presumption regarding life and wealth is arrogant and sinful. It's in that context where we read to him that knows to do good and does it not in sin. And listen to this one. God hears the prayers of the poor and he will vindicate them. God hears the prayers of the poor and he will vindicate them. James 5, 1 through 6. Suffering, trials, and testing. Again, you don't have much of a book if you take suffering, trials, and testing out of James, do you? Not much left. You've got the bones removed and you have a big blob of protoplasm, spiritually speaking. 
Notice what James says about suffering, trials, and testing, and let me summarize it in eight expressions, seven expressions here. Suffering does come and in various forms. It's not a matter of if, but when, James 1, 2 through 12. Suffering does come and in various forms. Same section, James 1, 2 through 12, number 2. Suffering is not good, but can be used for good by our God. I believe James 1, 2 through 12 is telling us, among other things, don't waste a trial. Don't waste a trial. Every trial is an opportunity for us to go to God in prayer and say, God, this hurts, but help me not waste the hurt. If it will make me more like Jesus, that's what I want, and I know that's what you want for me. It is for my good. It is for your glory, and let me do this. Third, and this is a great one, James 1, 9 through 12, suffering is linked to the present age for the people of God. Suffering is linked to the present age to the people of God, not to eternity, not for the people of God. Suffering and trials and testing are limited to the here and now and not to the here ever, forever. Fourth, God will bless those who persevere in suffering, James 1, 9 through 12. Fifth, churches must minister to the suffering. To those that are going through great trials. Back home we have a lady who is quite young and she's been at MD Anderson getting treatment for cancer and radiation and chemo. They've been bombarding that lady's body and They've not been Christians a long time. But when we look at them as a congregation, we cannot help but marvel at their trust. And people have been encouraged by how they have dealt with cancer. They're not wasting cancer. <coughs> And yet they're not that, that they have been Christians that long. I can learn from them. You can learn from people, can't you? Even people that have not been Christians very long. And we can marvel at their faith and wonder why sometimes we don't have that ourselves when we've been Christians for a while. Again, God will judge those who oppress his people. Anybody that causes suffering, anybody that delights in trying God's people, God will judge those individuals. We need to keep that in mind. James 5, 1 through 6. We need to keep that in mind. Because often we want to react. We want to be angry. <coughs> While we can be angry, we need to remember that the Lord is the one who handles things. Sufferers need to be patient and prayerful, and that is such a hard thing sometimes. James 5, 13 
through 16, 13 through 20 rather, James 5, 13 through 20. One last one, would like to cover more, but our time will be up, but one last one, prayer in the book of James. Prayer. In one of the last sessions it was talked about, I would suspect more than one of the last sessions, about prayer in the book of James. <coughs> Only chapter 3 contains no specific reference to prayer. <coughs> in other words, 1 and 2 and 4 and 5 do. And you can make a pretty good case that it's involved in chapter uh, 3 as well. Dealing with the matter that it deals with. But here's what's said. God generously gives in response to the fervent prayers of those who love him. God generously gives in response to the fervent prayers of those who love him. And I look at James the occasions for prayer. Times of trial and suffering. Times of temptation, pray. When one is cheerful, pray. <laughs> when one is sick, pray. When one is in need of forgiveness, pray. <coughs> when one is in need of restoration, pray. When one is filled with awe and adoration to the God that James loved and served and that we are privileged to love and serve too, pray. Let us pray. God, we marvel as we think about the book of James. It's too easy for us to understand in many ways. And yet a lifetime is not long enough to be able to practice its truth. Help us to love you more to serve you better, to be motivated with the spirit of Jesus in all that we say, in all that we do, in all that we think. Give us a heart and mind like his. Give us, a, give us hands and feet like his. And may we be busy doing his work and being reflections of him. In Christ we pray. Thank mm -hmm. you.